0: So, Paulette, there are so many annoying myths bouncing around in our culture regarding psychology. Did you know that?
1: I did know that.
0: Well, today I wanted to spell several of these myths, 20 to 30 of them, in detail. What do you say?
1: My God. Sounds
0: good. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist.
1: I am Paulette Perhatch, writer and American layperson. Wait, I want to say something first. Good, go. As a writer, psychology myths are annoying because you think you have a story idea and then you go to write about it and you like scratch the surface on like the fourth Google search link and they're like, "That's a total myth." And you're just like, "Ugh!" Like the stages of deni- of um, the stages of grief. Yeah, you know, look that up and they're like, "Yeah, that's not really a thing." So there's all these things that if you're an American layperson, you believe to be true yes. because they're just like quippy and easy to remember, Yeah. but they're not really. And no. I think sometimes you can shape your life or uh, analyze your life in a way that uses those as a map and then you're totally wrong.
0: Right. There are perhaps the majority of things that people believe about psychology and our culture are probably myths. And when it comes to any technical area, it. What, what I find, what I do for myself is I feel like I, I have a little bit of information and I feel like I get it. You know, like I'm not a physician, so I'll know a little bit about something like cancer or, or the brain or something. And, and then I'll just be like, yeah, I get it. And then when you actually talk with someone who gets it, you realize, oh, no, not only do you not get it, but everything you think is wrong.
1: This is something I obsess about. The world is so insanely complex and the scope of knowledge is like astronomical, and as a human, you have to choose what parts of that knowledge you float around in, or or where, like, should I say, updated on psychology, or should I say, updated on like physics, or should I say, updated on medical issues? Yeah, you. It's just there's no guide that I found of like, here's what you need to know as a human being.
0: Yeah, it's complex, uh, and I think part of it is if you want to not be in trouble regarding things that you're saying, you have to run them by someone who knows what they're doing. And because knowledge is so vast and so specialized and so deep, even if there there are areas that, you know, like in psychology, like I'm in, that's my area, but there are the majority of areas in psychology, I don't know enough about really to speak with a, a lot of authority. And so it's just this, understanding that things are much more complicated than than we think. And and I think, I don't know about you, but I kind of was running on the assumption that the world wasn't as complex or that science wasn't as complex as I've come to realize as I get older. And so I think maybe it's just an overall assumption that, look, you know nothing and science is very complex. And if I think you just sort of remember that, it'll guide your life.
1: I think that's really important and there's this concept, I forget the name of it, but it's the concept that the less you know, the more you think you know. There's like ignorance of how right. of how complicated the world is right. and the more, so that's why you'll find that people who are like scientists, who are super studied in science are more kind of humble. They're like, I know how vast the universe is. Right. So that's an interesting concept. Yeah, Isn't that crazy?
0: You want to update the listeners on that? <laughs>
1: Okay, here's a psychology myth. Uh, no, um, so update after this whole big thing happened with the article where I, the fuck
0: fuck off fun with
1: the fuck off fun article and like literally like my dreams are coming true like right like this week yeah. it's like I have all these assignments I'm getting to talk to all these people like I got an agent. I might be writing a nonfiction book like, oh, my God, everything's happening. I stopped biting my nails. Yeah. And I'm pretty stressed because it's like all the pieces of my life have just been flown up in the air. And it's like, we'll see where it's, it lands. But it's good stress. It's yeah. like, you know, that like kind of balance, like everything in my life is changing. So I think that I might be biting them more. But I'm yeah. totally stopped
0: biting them. It's interesting. I wonder yeah. if that means anything about why you were biting your nails. Yeah. Maybe you're biting your nails, not because of stress, but because of, um, I mean, you know, I could say all sorts of things. Would you like me to say the thing?
1: Yeah. Say the things. Diagnose. Woo.
0: So you could, since in the past, you felt like you weren't living up to your potential or you weren't living the life you wanted to live, which was more the life of a writer. You might have been, that might've been the stress really that you were, working out on your fingernails. Or another hypothesis that will sound perhaps more strange is you had some self-hatred that you were playing out by abusing yourself and saying, how dare you not be a better writer? (laughs) (laughs) That is
1: the kind of stuff I write in my morning pages. God, you suck. (laughs)
0: All right. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this, and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. And patrons get access to the premium feed on their phones now. So that is good. Okay, welcome to the patron zone, people. We love you so much. (laughs) First myth. Some people are left-brained, and other people are right-brained. Tougher bluff.
1: I thought these were all myths, so I'm going to go with bluff for
0: all of them. Uh, uh, no, some of them, <laughs> actually. Some of them, that's funny. That's good. No, some of them actually. I've I've sprinkled in a few toughs actually, <laughs> or not a few, but you know, some some toughs. There's one tough. Yeah,
1: I think this is. I'm going to go bluff. I th- feel like I'm going to be heavily bluff on this
0: episode. <laughs> okay. Have you heard of this? Have yes. you heard of this? Yeah. Myth. Do, do did you believe in it?
1: Yeah, I yeah. think so. But I, yeah, I think it's definitely way more uh, complicated.
0: Right. So I don't actually. I remember learning where this myth came from, but it is it is bluff. It is a myth. People, there is no such thing as a left brain person and a right brain person. I mean, you can make the argument that some people have certain uh, elements that would make them "quote unquote" left brain or right brain, but the whole concept is is ridiculously simplistic and based on really just bad science it's complicated the brain is complicated we barely understand it but in a nutshell everyone uses both sides of their brain and all the time it's 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 just the fact when they measure things you're using both sides of your brain all the time now. Can some people have tendencies along their personality, like are some people more analytical and some people more feeling-oriented? Sure. But that has nothing to do with left brain, right brain. You actually just measure their personality.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: When you hear left brain, right brain, you can chuckle a little bit on the inside and say, because it's still out there. There's still plenty I'll of chuck- people. I'll chuckle
1: on the outside in their face, and I'll be like, <laughs> you're wrong!
0: <laughs> Okay, another one. We only use 10% of our brains. Tough or bluff? Bluff. Yeah? Why Why do you think that?
1: Because that was like popular for a while, and then I saw these articles like, that's not really true.
0: Yeah. yeah the- I
1: wish it were true, and then we could unlock the rest of
0: it. Yeah. We use our entire brain. So this one is bluff. We... <laughs> Why would we have 90% useless material in the brain?
1: Okay, but there is this whole phenomenon around the fact that I have heard this could be a myth that your brain is capable of remembering and does remember in some far-off place inside your brain everything that's ever happened to you and there's a woman that remembers every single day of her life. Yeah. very vividly. So like there's this capacity that we're not consciously tapped into.
0: That is also a massive myth. Ah! There are some people that have disorders where their memory is is different than ours, and that they can recall meaningless information from their lives. But but that doesn't mean that we have have that capacity. Um, that is that that actually is a myth that is destructive in some ways because in um, for instance when people would. Uh, not re-me... Well, there's all this sort of recovered memory stuff that happened in our field, but in memory is very complex. But the notion th- th- that we have recorded every single memory in our yeah. brain is is a massive myth. In in fact, the way that memories work is very squishy. You know, like on a computer, we often think of our brain as a computer, right? And a computer, when you save a file, it stays that way forever. It never changes. Well, the way our brains work is, you know, it's wetware. It's not, it's not hardware and software. Wetware. It's wetware. It's, it's squishy goo. And so in order to, quote, unquote, remember something, our brain makes all these associations of feeling and image and, and things that we've seen before you know when we see a tree today we don't just see the tree our brain doesn't just record the tree it's it's thinking of all the other trees we've seen mm-hmm. and the way we feel about the tree and so I memories become totally jumbled up and they find that when people actually remember a memory they are actually reconstructing that memory and every time they remember it they're essentially remembering it differently because they're they're building a new memory every single time. I know.
1: I really hate that. I yeah. really hate that a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it, it sucks because we don't remember things, but it's a good thing because those people with the disorders that remember everything all the time, it actually makes it hard for them to live their lives because they can't unforget bad things uh, that happen yeah. to them. You know, like when something bad happens to you, like yeah, you get in a fight or someone, you know, and in the moment you're, you're devastated. You mm. feel horrible. Or someone dies, and you feel horrible, well, as time goes on, you, you feel better. well, part of that is your brain starts to forget it yeah. <laughs> or, or forget the the details yeah, the details so anyway
1: uh, the woman who remembers everything is named Jill Price, and there 's a Wired article about her yeah, uh, in case you 're interested in
0: that yeah, and, and there are other people too with the same disorder essentially it's, they don 't have that ability to forget things. But it's not as if they are videotape recording everything. They they just have an, a heightened ability to remember things that happened a long time ago. And this is like, you would remember something that happened to you yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, this person has the ability to remember things that happened to them five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway. All right. Another uh, tougher bluff regarding myths. Who knows? Maybe this is the one tough. Men and women have inherently different personalities. Tougher bluff.
1: Oh. God, I would say bluff. Why do you say that? Well, I think that there's so much in society that that shapes shapes (laughs) our personalities in a way that might look different between men and women. I don't know. That's such an interesting question right now, you know, because I've always felt like more of a masculine, like, woman, you know, where, like, I'm aggressive, I'm loud, I like to cuss, I like to make dirty jokes, like, you know, so I think that you could put my personality in a guy and it would make total sense. And I know guys who like are very feminine and you, that you don't get to know that until you know them closely because they can't express that, you know, in a, in a normal situation because right. it's ridiculed to kind of not play out your gender norms.
0: Right. So would you say tougher bluff that men and women have inherently different personalities? bluff. You said bluff. You are right. In short, men and women are very similar with only small insignificant differences and, are, and you used a lot of the language that I would use in that you're using the word masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. Well, masculine is an idea. It's not, it's not an actual thing. It's a thing that we impose culturally on people. It's like the idea that black people are lesser than white people. That's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. That's a cultural notion. Well, the notion of masculinity is a notion in our culture. It's not real. If you just let People live and grow and develop into their into themselves. We would not see boys becoming masculine and girls becoming feminine. Mm.
1: And it's so interesting because we can't study this in a vacuum. Everything's so affected by the actual culture, you know. Right.
0: right. So when we'll never really know. But even when people are socialized as masculine and feminine, and they actually study the personality without looking at gender, they just look at they just study people's personalities, they find that the, of the differences, they're so small that you can't actually... What, what they tried to do in a number of studies was they took a number of personality profiles from people and they tried to predict who was a woman and who was mm-hmm. a man and they couldn't do it. Hmm. So just based on personality profiles, you could not tell with any you know, ability predictive ability whether or not someone was male or female. That should tell you something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is bizarre because we're so socialized into the notion that men and women are just so different, mm-hmm. but they're not, and it's and it's it's just all this silliness. All right, tougher bluff on this myth: Rorschach tests, you know, or ink blot, ink. ink ink blot, the ink, ink blot. blot tests are used by psychologists today. Tougher bluff. I would say bluff. It's tough. They actually are Ooh, used.
1: Ooh, that's that's cool. That's one thing I'm glad is true.
0: I, I've actually used them. I'm actually trained in, in Warshock.
1: What? Yeah. Oh my God. We should totally talk about that one day.
0: Yeah. 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 It's pretty fun actually. Uh, same sort of topic. Warshock tests or ink blot tests are valid measures of personality. Tough or bluff?
1: Well, I guess if you're using them, I would say tough. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, it's somewhat tough. They're like, somewhat. No,
1: they're disproven, but we still use
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're somewhat tough and it's, and it's somewhat bluff. um, Research has shown that it's sort of useful, Rorschach tests, for uh, detecting psychosis and maybe dependency, but mainly thought disorders, psychosis, this kind of You're thing. Like, this
1: inkblot looks like a puppy being murdered. You're like, okay.
0: Yeah, well, actually, it's really complex. The, the test takes a long time to administer. There's, there's 10 different inkblots. You have to meticulously record, record verbatim by hand what what the, what the person being tested is saying. You have to prep the person. And then afterwards, you have to code everything that they said. And the coding process is extremely complex. Then you have to enter all that into a computer. And then the computer spits out this thing. And then you have to look at the computer. And it... it <laughs>
1: I like how look at the computer is one step. No, gotta look at it.
0: (laughs) So it's actually really laborious and it's only really good at detecting thought disorders and psychosis. And there are much faster, easier ways of detecting thought disorders.
1: (laughs) What's a thought disorder exactly?
0: Psychosis, like, like they're losing touch with reality essentially. And mean delusional like they believe they're napoleon or the government's after them or something (laughs) yeah so um so uh although i really like the warshock test i i actually don't use it hardly ever and i don't really consider it to be a, a very useful thing it used to be believed that you could tell everything about someone's personality from it but scientifically they've they've disproven that um so that da, 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 notion of development person. Okay. Um, all right. Next one. You can detect lies from body language and the way people talk. So from body language and the way people talk, you can detect lies.
1: I want to say tough. Why? Because I feel like that is studied by, you know, people in the FBI, intelligence services. I think maybe not always. Like if someone is, Pathological is the word I want to use. Maybe that's not the right word. Um, if someone like believes their own lies, maybe not. But I think for most people, yes.
0: It is bluff, actually. <sighs> and you're right. The FBI and scientists do study this. And they have found that you cannot tell if someone's lying. Oh, my God. I'm the language. worst
1: liar. So you can always tell. I'm just like, oh, like, <laughs> terrible.
0: Well, it's true that there are certain cues of lying But in terms of actually being, if someone's really trying to lie, you know, like if, if you say, I don't know, um, like what's a typical lie that you might have to somebody? (laughs) I want to say the worst things right now. Um,
1: I can't think of anything that's not terrible. Um like uh okay i'll give you the example i think i've talked about this where like i <laughs> borrowed my friend's bowl and like um like her cereal bowl or something and i used it to like feed the dogs and then <laughs> she like it came to my attention that like she would be so mad if i'd done that so i lied about it and then they had already seen that the dog food was in it so i totally got busted well but and that was in college and i think that was like Seriously, the last time that I tried to get out of something by, like, lying, because I was, like, ashamed of what I'd done.
0: Yeah, which means you have a good personality. Which is good,
1: but maybe I'd be a liar if I were good at it. I'm just terrible at it.
0: Yeah. Well, so from the story, it sounds like you actually lied successfully, but didn't, <laughs> didn't account for the fact that evidence would prove you wrong. So... So, so terrible. So yeah, I mean, in that sort of lie, it's like, oh, wait, did you use my bowl to feed dogs? No, I didn't do that. I would never do that. And so it's nope. it, it's it's actually pretty easy if you are trying hard enough, you can deceive people pretty easily, particularly if they don't know you or you don't really care. You know, like a, like a police officer. This is usually where it comes up. It's like, you know, a police officer comes to you and is like, you know, D- were you going over the speed limit? And you're like, nope. It's it's hard to know if the person's lying or not.
1: It's like, um, but I feel like all the people on Cops are such bad liars. Like, is this your heroin? No, I don't know where that came from. Well, oh, my God. It, Get it it, if it's
0: obvious, you know, but if you walked up to that person on the street and they didn't have heroin on them and they didn't find it and you just said, do you use heroin? And they, and, and they said no, it'd be hard to know. It, it's easy to find, it's easy to discover that someone's lying if they have heroin in their pocket and they're saying no. It's harder to detect lying, again, just based on body language and the way people talk. This is a massive lie that is going around in our culture regarding psychology. And there was that TV show or something. uh, I can't remember, but I know that there was a TV show where some expert knew how to detect. You know, they would like mm-hmm. zoom in on the person's eyes, and he's like, "Oh, he's looking to the left, so that yeah. must mean he's thinking." And da da da, da. and and it's all bullshit. <laughs> it's like, for instance,
1: <laughs> it's so annoying. You, it's like so hard to find out the freaking truth.
0: Well, and it's annoying because wouldn't it be cool if there was this secret language of lying? You know, wouldn't it be cool if if there was this easy way of of knowing that people are lying, but. You know things are much more complicated than that. For instance, the bullshit that's that's on the internet that I just pulled very quickly is, you know, the eye movement. There's a lot of eye movement bullshit that's going mm-hmm. around the internet, and there are people there. And in fact, I bet you anything. Well, this is for patrons, and I know that all our patrons are wonderful people. But if this was on the general internet, I bet you anything that I would get emails saying you don't know. You have to look at this, you know, obscure study that proved that. The eye movement stuff is real. Like, there's, they're, they're like disciples. They're like super into it. They're yeah. like cultists. There's like eye I'm movement like, cultists. It's it crazy.
1: Is, it's hard, too, to be like, to hear that something that is like one of the bricks that makes up your reality, right? Yeah. You're like, no, this is part of life that I knew was true because I saw this show and they had an expert. And like, I thought that I knew something. To think that you knew something and then have somebody be like, no, that's total bullshit is really upsetting and how I feel every time that you say evolutionary psychology is
0: bullshit because i lo- love it to, to to be fair evolutionary psychology as a as a discipline is not bullshit okay. but the things that people say are 99 time 99 percent of the time bullshit oh
1: my god all right we both have to read the moral animal and then discuss it well sure that's on our list
0: yeah well actually i uh uh communicated with the guy who wrote that book <sighs> anyway that's- um other bullshit on the internet, they tend to point a lot, they say. When you're lying, you point a lot. Uh, they stare at you without blinking much. <laughs> they shuffle their feet. Mm. They stand very still. So how does that make sense? How you shuffle your feet. <laughs> they instinctively cover cover vulnerable body parts. <laughs> <laughs> they change their head position quickly. So this is all bullshit. It's all not true. Okay, uh, next myth, potential myth: Subliminal advertising works. Right? Subliminal, subliminal advertising works. Subliminal. Subliminal.
1: Subliminal.
0: Subliminal. Is that
1: where it's like okay? To what level is it subliminal? Like a voice that you can't hear, but basically, some level yeah. You the can't-
0: definition is a a message that. Right. Either you can't hear or you can't you don't consciously see it. Like the Like classic, the Wieners in Fight Club. It, it, but that one you can see actually. That's true. Uh the classic is is they will put like eat popcorn on one of the frames of a movie yeah. and it's and it's just one frame and your conscious mind doesn't register it, but your your unconscious mind might register it.
1: I'm gonna say bluff.
0: It's you're right, it is bluff. Very good. But that was a big myth in our culture and to some extent still exists. Uh, It's unsupported by science. Okay, tougher bluff on this one. Autism is on the rise. Autism is on the rise.
1: (laughs) You said that so cheerily. (laughs) Autism is on the rise. Um, God, that's so hard because there you have the... The idea that we're detecting it now, whereas before we may have not. Right. But, I don't know. God, that's a whole hairy issue. I'm going to go
0: bluff. You're right. It's okay. bluff. Now, it's hard to tell because, the, as you said, the detecting of it is, has changed over the years. But most researchers agree that the rise in autism is just because the criteria have changed to include more people and more families are seeking help for their children. So it's hard to tell, but it seems as though autism is not actually on the rise. It's, you know, We have drastically uh, loosened the criteria to a much larger group. Mm. So that'll do... one. I mean, autism in the past used to be a very severe... You know, of the uh, people that are diagnosed with autism spectrum today the people who were diagnosed with autism in the past were the most severe people. Mm -hmm. Plus, now people are seeking help. You know, so blah, blah, blah. Anyway, okay, next one. Placebos often offer as much relief as actual treatments, like Prozac.
1: God, I want to say tough for this one. I don't know. Tough?
0: You're right. Yes. Yes. Placebos often offer as much relief as actual treatments meaning a sugar pill you tell someone this is an anti antidepressant and it sometimes is almost just as effective in the study as the actual antidepressant
1: that's so crazy because oh, with like depression sometimes or anxiety like you'll be like am i happy am i depressed how do i feel you know you're like it can be hard to pinpoint it and I think if you're someone's talking you into feeling better, like then there's also the idea that you get that little glimmer of hope that you are gonna feel better,
0: mm-hmm. right? That's, and then that that's, makes that's, you
1: feel better, right? <laughs> like, that's the
0: thing. Well, there's two effects that the placebo yeah. works for. That you know is that's one is hope and expectation, um, and when you have that hope, it actually releases certain things in your brain that will actually physically help in that in that effort.
1: Chocolate syrup.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Mostly chocolate syrup.
0: It's mostly just chocolate syrup. Yeah. But like, uh, and the other thing is, is that people, when they're depressed, a good percentage of them will naturally not be depressed later anyway, without medication. Mm -hmm. And so placebo seems to, uh, seems to work then, but in actuality, it's just them getting naturally better. Okay. Next one. Vaccines cause autism.
1: Oh my God. Goodbye. I'm leaving. I can't. I don't think so. It seems not. I don't know, though. Oh, God.
0: Why Why are you worried about this because one? Because
1: it's like a huge... It's like, as someone who doesn't have kids, sometimes it's nice to be like, this is a heated argument that I have nothing to do with. Like, I don't have to weigh in on whether you should vaccinate your kids or not. I don't... It's like, of all the heated arguments that I'm that I'm part of as like an American, as a woman, as a human, you know, there's so many things we ha- all have to like hash out and decide like, what's the truth here? Yeah. That is not one of them. That's one of a thousand that I so, get to be like, I get a pass on.
0: So I'm guessing that you've seen people say this is a myth. And then there's a whole group of people who have said yeah. that th- there's a lot of anger going yeah. back and forth.
1: Um also, they just mentioned this on that Funny or Die video that Johnny Depp did. Oh,
0: that was great. Right? Oh, my God. It
1: was so good. And they're like, Jenny McCarthy's hilarious. when yeah. she convinced us not to vaccinate our kids. Yeah. And we're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to go. Okay. What was that? It causes autism. Yeah. I'm going to go a very lay person. I'm judging this off posts I've seen on Facebook bluff. But that's the only level of like knowledge I have.
0: Well, you're right. It is bluff. Jenny McCarthy, Jim, Jim Carrey, a bunch of other people have, have uh, propagated this, this myth. It's a fine hypothesis, actually, since autism often emerges around the time that a baby gets their first vaccines. Mm-hmm. That That's why it, it, it's, it makes some logical sense t- to parents. But there's a large body of evidence now that has found no, no correlation between vaccines and autism. They've even experimented with taking out what they thought were the culprits in the different vaccines. Thimerosal, I think they they took mercury. They 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 started removing things. Sorry, mercury. um, There's I don't quote me on that. I'm pretty (laughs) sure about the thimerosal thing, but anyway, the point is is that they've had I don't know like 20 years or so of Mm -hmm. looking at this very question. And they have lots of data, you know, for populations of people. And there's there's no indication that vaccines cause autism at all. Yeah. Basically, you know, what I see, the the reason why it gets emotional is that if you have a child with autism, it is very stressful. It is It can ruin your life. People have this idea of like oh, autism. Oh, it's like, you know, you're like Rain Man. No, I mean, maybe, but but when you have a kid with with what we would call you know higher level autism more severe autism your life as a parent becomes that's all you're doing is taking care of that kid like and that kid will never be able to function on their own and they get violent and and you don't even think they like you and it's very, very stressful. Yeah. And then you start looking back and you're thinking, what caused this? I mean, autism doesn't run in our family. My other kids aren't autistic. Mm-hmm. What happened? And you, and you look back and you say, well, what was different? Well, what happened was right around that time that I started seeing symptoms was right after the, the vaccines. Mm-hmm. And then it just seems like a logical thing. Well, you injected my child with this, I don't even know what it is and suddenly i started seeing symptoms and now my life is ruined for the rest of my life it and then and then of course you go to the vaccine people and the physicians and of course they don't want to be blamed for that mm-hmm. so you don't trust so that's the thing it's like the people you're accusing are the very people that actually study the 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 phenomenon and so you're naturally not going to believe them and then you times that times a million and spread that out over 10 years and you have you know, a lot of anger going back and forth.
1: Yeah, it's really hard.
0: So, I, I absolutely sympathize with the parents of autistic kids because I've actually worked with autistic kids and families. But, uh, vaccines are not the culprit. Okay. Psychiatrists still use electroshock therapy. Tough or bluff?
1: I think that's tough.
0: You're right. It's tough.
1: God, I'm killing it today.
0: It's rarely used. It's a last resort for. Do you know what it's a last resort for? Um, what disorder?
1: God, addiction.
0: Depression. Yeah. It's a last resort for severe depression. Not like oh not like oh I'm depressed. It's depressed to the point where they become potentially delusional and they think they're the devil. And it's actually quite effective in in uh, wow. at least temporarily How? reducing symptoms. So
1: I read The Bell Jar. And she gets electroshock therapy in that, mm. from what I remember. And I mean, like, what? It seems terrible if you've seen uh, Requiem for a Dream. It mm-hmm. seems horrifying. Yeah. Is it super painful?
0: Well, this isn't really my area, but it can't be pleasant. And it also erases your memory, of it. So, a lot of people don't even remember it
1: I mean that's probably best i guess
0: yeah and then i'm not, I'm not too sure about that but but yeah it's it's it can't be pleasant, right um and the way it's depicted in the media is that whenever a psychiatrist is angry at you, they make you go through electroshock therapy, and that's just not the case. It's it's used in a very em- empathetic way. It's, it's it's used like, man, we've tried medication. We've tried cognitive behavioral therapy. We've tried supportive therapy. Nothing is working. This person is severely depressed for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Let's try electroshock and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then you do it, and it often works. So it's it's used only in those situations. In the movies, you would think it's the first thing that they turn to, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, it's just quite silly. Okay. Uh, but having said that, it's used very rarely, like in only hospital settings. It's not like you've probably <laughs> never met someone that had electroshock therapy. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's very, very rare. Okay. Tougher Bluff. Posting a calorie chart in fast food restaurants leads people to choose less healthy foods. Tougher Bluff.
1: Less? Like fewer healthy foods?
0: <laughs> fewer. Or health. like less healthy foods. Uh, like less healthy, like the the, the food. The food, yeah, they're choosing bad foods. So posting a calorie chart in fast food restaurants leads people to choose to choose foods that are not as healthy for them. Okay, as compared, I want to wanna
1: say bluff
0: because it doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. But it's actually tough.
1: Oh my god!
0: Yeah, it's kind of a weird effect that posting calorie charts somehow encourages people to eat shittier or something it doesn't make any sense to me because when i see those calorie charts i'm like holy s are you kidding me uh no i'm not gonna order that you know yeah because there are things where you're just like wait that hamburger is 900 calories because <laughs> in my mind that just doesn't make any sense but when you see it you're like shit yeah now i want to eat a hamburger. <laughs> Do they affect you, those those calorie charts?
1: I feel like sometimes I've looked at them and been like, okay, I'm not going to do that because that's – like I'm so bad with food. I come from like a really just, – just a very mainstream, I want to say, diet of like I always ate fast food, just no –
0: Even as a kid? Even as a kid. Oh.
1: And so to re-shock myself because I'm like, oh, I've had that hamburger – a thousand times i can look at that number and yeah it's a big number but i've still done it a thousand times and i'm okay i mean i'm not gonna pose in a you know bikini for sports illustrated without some serious photoshop experts on hand (laughs) but like i don't know it's just hard to be re-disgusted at that number when you're like You've just got oh. grown used to it, you know?
0: It's like, oh, I've, I've been there, done that before. Been
1: there, done that.
0: I'm still alive. It's interesting. All right, next one. Schizophrenia does not mean split personality. Tough or bluff?
1: Um, I think that's tough.
0: You're right. Okay. So people in the lay public use schizophrenia in this way, which is completely false. Yeah. They'll say... Oh, I'm so schizophrenic. On one hand, I love hamburgers. On the other hand, I hate Uh, hamburgers. They'll say... Have you heard people say that?
1: I have not heard anyone say that. And I would kind of be like, "Me?" Oh, really? I don't think you're schizophrenic.
0: Do you know people with schizophrenia or something?
1: Um, not to my knowledge, but I feel like being in Seattle, you... There's just a... There's more of an emphasis on respecting every kind of person. So you... Whereas before I would see like be like crazy homeless person I'm like that person really has schizophrenia and you know trying to appreciate that.
0: A, I, I'm surprised you haven't heard that. Maybe um, maybe they don't say it as yeah. much anymore. But but schizophrenia does not mean split personality. Schizophrenia actually it's it's a constellation of symptoms. But but the thing I most associate with schizophrenia is delusions, meaning that you believe the government's after you or you think people are reading your thoughts or. You believe that you're an FBI agent and or you see things, you hear voices. These kinds of things are associated with schizophrenia for me. It's not like the ma- it's not the only symptom. But anyway, okay. Another one. In romance in romance romance, <laughs> opposites attract tougher bluff.
1: Ooh, that's an interesting question. Bluff?
0: You're right, bluff. Yes. Why do you think that?
1: I think real opposites would be like annoying. Like if I was dating someone who was Republican. There's a lot of things I want to say right now, who, but
0: who hates books?
1: Yeah, if so there's this one tattoo out there of like an eagle flying down, ripping pages out of a book, and it says "Reading is for," and then it has a very negative word for the homosexual population. And I'm just like, oh uh, my god! Like if that guy with that tattoo and I were on a date, it wouldn't go that well,
0: right? So there's this notion in our culture, right, that opposites attract. It's like, oh, you know, you need someone who' opposites it's attract. And you know, know. I mean, if you
1: put a psychology idea into a Paula Abdul song, there's just it's not gonna go away. Right. There's nothing I mean, this podcast, you think we can go up against a Paula Abdul song and change the landscape of psychological thought? Think again. It's think not gonna a, happen.
0: Think again, pal.
1: Nice try, Doctor Th- Honda.
0: Think again. We are actually attracted to people very similar to us. Mm. And we, we, w- what happens is we often say, well, I, I must be attracted to opposites because I get annoyed with people so much. You know what I mean? Like, he, she's this and I'm that and, and this sort of thing. But actually, those are just very small differences that you're noticing. But when you actually look at the vast majority of things, of characteristics, you share... Many of those characteristics with your long-term partner in all likelihood, not always. Things like your sense of humor. I mean, think about that one. If you, I mean, there's a lot of different sense, senses of humor in the world. And if you don't share your partner's sense of humor, like it's, that's a hard one.
1: Yeah. I would say that's the number one thing that my boyfriend and I share is like a really uh, just very particular kind of sense of humor where it's like you can say, the most disgusting thing you be like, whatever, just take it as low as possible. Yeah. That's where we, that's where our sense of humor
0: lies. Right. So yeah. So a lot of like handicapped people, humor, no,
1: like more, <laughs> um, poo humor, a lot of poo, uh, butts and poop are really where <laughs> we excel. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> In our joke writing, <laughs> and just how lazy we are, we joke about that a lot. Um And Zane makes fun of me, and that's that's where he, you know, is really good. Like he's
0: really good at making fun. Of
1: you. I, the other day, I saw this thing. I'm trying to eat healthier always, right? And it's like a zippity. They call them zoodles, and it's zucchini that you put through this. Thing that twirls them into noodles. It just cuts the zucchini into all these squiggles, basically. And so I was looking to buy one, maybe. And I was explaining what it was to Zayn. I was like, "Oh, it. You know, you take the zucchini and you twirl it, and it turns into noodles. Does that sound like something we would, we would do?" And he was like, "I hope not." It's <laughs> <was> like fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Actually, sounds kind of. I mean, zucchini's pretty good, especially when it's in small bits. But it seems like when you when you heated it, it would like just fall apart maybe not. I don't, I don't maybe know maybe the skin or something would stick
1: you can do it to carrots too and did you know there are like squash?
0: basically zero calorie noodles that you can get really yeah I they good they're good yeah I mean they're not amazing What's in them though it's it's a natural substance I know that much <laughs> it's, it's a actually a it's a sense. Japanese thing it's a Japanese you can actually get it at ramen places as an option though you can get zero they're what are they made of
1: they call glass noodles?
0: Uh they're see-through so semi-see-through noodles. Anyway, all I know is I remember having them and just being like these are zero calories that's cr- or like one calorie or something. Mm-hmm. It was cr- it was crazy. It seems
1: crazy.
0: Yeah. And you know when you're eating noodles it's more about the sauce or the soup. It's not about the noodles, you know. It's the true. noodles just transport the sauce to your face hole. <laughs> you know, okay.
1: Sometimes it's about the noodles. Like the super doughy noodles you can get at the Thai restaurant. Mm.
0: Okay Tougher bluff Polygraphs are effective In detecting lies Tougher bluff Polygraphs Tough
1: Yeah I know what a polygraph is
0: Yeah It's like a poly Yeah Is effective You say tough I say tough It's it's mostly bluff
1: What Yeah It's Uh, My whole world is crumbling
0: Yeah Uh, uh. Actually You can't use polygraphs In In courts What Because They've known for decades That it's not Effective in detecting lies It's all bullshit so, but it does seem science has found because there's been you know whole slew of studies on this. Effective polygraphs seem to catch a very small percentage of people who are lying, but it provides many false positives and many false negatives. So, if you just take a hundred people, you'll be able to catch like you know two or three people, but like the other ones, you're either just guessing and getting it right or guessing and getting it wrong, meaning that they're lying and you're not catching them or they're not lying and, you th- and it shows that they're lying. So in other words, polygraphs are useless. Lie detector tests are useless. But what they will say sometimes in uh, you know, prosecutors, cops, this sort of thing, is they will use the polygraph as a way of trying to intimidate someone into confessing. Mm. They'll say, so uh, we're, we're going to bring you in for a polygraph... You know, and is there anything you want to tell us before... So they
1: use the myth to their... Exactly. ...advantage. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly.
0: And that's perhaps why it's still around, because, because it's still talked about as if it works, you know? Okay. Hypnosis is useful for retrieving memories. Tough or bluff?
1: I'm going to go bluff.
0: You are correct. It is bluff. It is not useful in retrieving... I mean... There's About
1: memories of past lives.
0: Yeah, the totally. Um, but the, uh, the issue is, is, is hypnosis, you know, you were saying earlier, it's like we record our memories and if we just have the ability to access it, it's, it was believed and it's been propagated through our culture that hypnosis will get you access to those recorded memories. Mm-hmm. But all hypnosis does is it just relaxes you severely. It helps you to really relax mm-hmm. and, when you're really relaxed, you might be able to access memories that you can already access but maybe access in a little better way. But the problem is is that hypnosis often is used to create memories that people think happened to them and this has happened. Hypnosis has been used used in the past to help someone remember something and then and then the through the hypnosis the person creates this new memory of being like sexually abused by their dad that never happened and then and then they after they leave the hypnosis believing that it happened and then they they prosecute and then later on they think more about it and they're saying wait a second i don't think this happened i think i think the hypnosis just basically created this memory in my head so you have to be very careful about that sort of thing that's weird Tougher bluff. Smiling can make you feel happier. Tougher bluff. Oh, smiling. I want to say tough. You're right. Tough. Yay. Individuals. Here's the next one. Individuals commonly repress the memories of traumatic experience. well we're just, we're just
1: going over smiling? <laughs> I had a commentary. Okay, go. Um, I've been working on my pleasant resting face.
0: You're, 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 oh, that's a good one.
1: Just a slight smile. So if anyone catches my eye in the street, I'm already giving them a slight smile. But it has to look Natural. But it's, yeah. it's like a sustained... It's like engaging your core in yoga. Just a sustained, a little pleasant grin. Not because I'm a woman and I have to smile, because we don't.
0: Yeah. But, but you're trying to make yourself feel happier.
1: Just because, yeah, it feels nicer and then people are happy. I smile at people on the street. Yeah. That's my
0: volunteer work. That's your thing? Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. Sometimes when I am walking around, I will think... What's my face doing? Am I scowling? Am I, you know, because... I have I, a
1: tendency to scowl.
0: Yeah, because if I'm scowling, that's, that can't be good for the mood. All right, next one. Individuals commonly repress the memories of their traumatic experiences.
1: Like to the point where they cannot remember them at all? That's right. Mm.
0: So they go through, they get sexually abused at the age of like seven, and then they're 30 and they have no access to that memory.
1: God, I don't know. Bluff?
0: It's bluff. You're right. It's a myth. It is a commonly held belief in our society and in in my field, frankly, but it actually is a myth. There are some very rare cases where this happens, but it's actually uh, even debatable whether or not those people um, couldn't remember if they really tried. So usually the thing is, is like when you go through something horrible, like being sexually abused or raped or something, and you don't want to remember that. It, you remember it. If you if you tried to remember it, you could remember it. But there's a lot of defenses in place to stop you from really concentrating on it. So if if you asked the person and they said, "Be truthful. Have you been sexually abused?" They would say yes but if but, if you ask them to remember it, they would say, "I don't want to think about that I don't want to th-. and they have really elaborate ways of of protecting themselves from remembering because it's re traumatizing to remember
1: What I've realized through meditation is the idea of choosing what you think about, and I think when before, when I had anxiety, I didn't realize it, it's just like you're strapped into a seat in an IMAX theater and it's just showing you what it wants to show you, and you're completely out of control yeah. and then I think while you're meditating and you can say like, Oh, you realize you're thinking and choose to not think that really helps me later when I would start to think about something that was a negative memory. And I would think like if I started thinking about it, like, Oh God, like I have to go through the whole thing and think about this again. And then I'm like, I don't have to think about that. That happened. And now I can let it go. And that those things have really lost power for me, like embarrassing moments or, you know, like I just wrote, this thing for Cosmo, excuse me, what, what, um, <laughs> my first assignment from Cosmo was about if you're the friend who's a mess and I was writing, I was trying to think of like specific instances where I was the mess and I was like, oh my God, I'm trying to just like put a filter on my memories like humiliations and I'm like, God, I think, I feel like I've shoved these into the back of my mind so much. And chosen to stop thinking about them that now I'm having a hard time remembering. Like, I remember that I was a mess, but like, what was that specifically,
0: you know? Right. Yeah, that's very good. And we can use those techniques to forget traumatic memories as well. But if you really thought about it, you could remember those, those things that you're trying not to think about.
1: Yeah, I did, finally.
0: Okay. A, here's another one. Hypnosis is real. Duffer Bluff. Hyp- Ooh. Hypnosis is real.
1: <sighs> real in what way?
0: Uh, meaning, meaning that... Like when the shows? The shows, yeah. No. Bluff. Why? Why do you think that?
1: I don't know. Because it just seems fake to me.
0: Seems fake? Why? Yeah. But it seems so real. I mean, the people walk off and they're and they're like, I thought it was fake. And my God, it's real.
1: Yeah. Meet me out back, Billy. We'll have those drinks. Because <laughs> um, it just feels to me like it's in the realm of, you know, like the preachers who heal people and
0: yes it, exactly it The shows are completely fake. Imagine if it were true that there were certain individuals with certain skills that could make you do anything that is insane and ridiculous they're there's, called bartenders <laughs> there's no such thing i mean I mean the whole thing is' just like i just I always just imagine it's like okay, so. So, you know, because most people believe this shows are real, you know, they'll be like, oh my God, no, a friend of mine, he was like totally skeptical and he like doesn't remember a thing about it and da-da-da. And and man, it, it's real. And it's like, okay, well, just, just stop and imagine if that was actually real. We There would be like evil villains with like entire packs of slaves that would do whatever he wanted them to do. And that just doesn't exist. Or... How about this? Medicine could use it to get you to quit smoking or to get you to stop eating hamburgers or to get you to not abuse your wife or to get you to stop drinking. or use. I mean, if hypnosis was real, like really real, the way that we think of it, we could rid ourselves of every human ill ever imagined. You know what I mean? And so, no, it's not real. It's, it's completely ridiculous. And basically what happens is when you, when you put people on stage there's this tremendous, tremendous pressure to play along with the game. One time, have you heard of the Magic Castle in, in LA? I think it's the Magic Castle, they call it. What it, is, it? It's, what is it? it? it's this where um, you have to be a part of the club. You have to get like a sponsor to, to let you in. Like you can't just go. And you, it's like this old mansion with dark wood Fixtures and all these different rooms and upstairs and and it, it's just really great and they have different auditoriums, these little like cute little theaters and then magicians do their do shows every night and um, so anyway I w- went there and they called me up to the stage and he was doing a trick you know and when he He, I can't remember exactly what he did, but he asked me, okay, pick pick one of the cards. And he, without the audience seeing, he showed me which one he wanted me to pick. Mm. And I remember I had this split second of like, oh, I can go against this. I can fuck his entire show up right now. I can grab a different card or whatever it was and just screw this up. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I would feel so shitty as a human being if I did that. So I'm going to go along with that. So one of the things that magicians and hypnosis people do is they know who to ask. Because there are certain cues Mm. of an audience member that indicates to them that they're passive or nice, you know, or they have empathy. You know what I mean?
1: So I'm reading this book, Nudge, um, by Richard, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's T-H-A-L-E-R. And he talks he's talking about um, this experiment where they gave everyone, they like gave everyone three lines on a card and projected which like line it was. And you're like, Oh, it's obviously this one. Like it was an obvious answer. But when they had five other people in the room who voted unanimously for another answer, like people just kept voting for that one, even though it was so obvious that everyone was wrong, you know?
0: Right. Right. It's interesting. Right. Meaning that, when five people are saying something that's obviously wrong and you're like, oh my God, they're wrong, you'll still go along with it because you don't want to stick out. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very dependent on on social approval. And it's very clear that when you're doing the hypnosis show that everyone in the audience wants to see you acting ridiculous. They, they They're dying to see you quack like a chicken. They're dying to see you have an orgasm on stage, which is another thing they do to people. And, and so they're, they're dying for that. Plus, if you're volunteering to be on stage, you want to, you want to get some laughs, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And anyway, okay, next one. Now, having said that, hypnosis can do some things. It can help you to relax. It can help you to think more clearly. It's like medit. It's like, it's like assisted mindfulness, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. Mm. So it, it is it is real in that way, but it's not real in most of the yeah. ways that people know. Okay, okay. There's only a few left. People can learn information like new languages while they are asleep. So when they're listening uh, to those audio, cassettes, bluff. Yeah, you're right. It's bluff
1: because it, everything that's too good to be true.
0: It's too good to be true. You cannot learn languages while listening to tapes while you're sleeping. That's ridiculous. There is some evidence that you can. You can have some effects. I can't remember which ones, but they're pretty minor. Okay, next one. It's better to express anger to others than to hold it in. It's better to express your anger to other people than to hold it in. Tough or bluff?
1: I think tough.
0: It's somewhat bluff, somewhat tough. So you're you're right for the most part. But one of the things that is often said is when you're to kids is when you're super angry, punch a pillow, they'll mm-hmm. say, or punch a punching bag, right? It makes some logical sense. It's like, well, you're getting your anger out, right? You're and then you won't direct it at at other people. But in actuality, when you actually study this scientifically, you find that when people do that, for some, not all, but for some people, when they engage in that aggressive behavior. It actually increases their general anger,
1: mm. yeah, it depends on how you're expressing it,
0: yeah, and it depends on how angry you are you know and, and how how you can uh, uh, regulate your own emotions, right? okay, last one. Handwriting reveals personality traits
1: I feel like that's tough a Why? little bit, okay well, okay, when I look at when I write, I have terrible handwriting, okay. and I will notice that a big part of my handwriting is all like just start a letter and then like. The line will just go straight to the right.
0: And what does that say about? That tells
1: me that I don't finish things that I start, which is so true.
0: <laughs> well, it's bluff. Damn it, Paulette! You do finish things that you start. You, uh-huh. You're you're one of the few writers on this planet that actually finishes and gets published.
1: But like, you don't like. You haven't heard about all my failures. I mean, that's just part of the creative process. You like start a bunch of things, right? And then anyway, they don't go anywhere.
0: The point is, is that handwriting has nothing to do with personality, and I want to stress this. Nothing to do with personality, and, and this has been proved by empirical science time and again. Mad they will, know. they will look at someone's writing, they will evaluate their personality, and they will try to match up the writing with the personality profiles, and they cannot do that. Writing is something that is cultural, and it's and it's something that you learn like a like a skill. It's like the way you walk or something, or I don't know. There's just there's no connection between handwriting and personality. That's something that has been propagated through the culture and a lot of people believe it and it's bullshit. Personality is way more complex than that. Way more complex. Okay. Fine. So you did pretty well, Paulette. I
1: did good today. Usually when I when I am terrible at these, I, I get sad.
0: Well, so what do you think? What's the final word on the myths of psychology?
1: Oh, it's just so annoying. That- what about the hierarchy of needs? Because I've referenced
0: that a lot. Well the hierarchy of needs has problems with it that people will criticize but it's it's the claim isn't scientific. They're not saying uh there's no claim within the hierarchy of needs that can be tested scientifically. Mm-hmm. Of course we all have need for security and for food and and shelter. So although I guess you could test it and and, and I think they actually have tested it and found that it's actually not true. No. Uh. In in that cuz the claim the one claim in it that you can say that is in it is until you have this level of 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 need you can't really work on the next one yeah. but they found that that's not true there are people that have no shelter and no food that are falling in love for instance mm-hmm. you know what i mean like people in poor countries might have war going around, on around them and they're self actualizing you know what yeah. i mean so it's it has been disproven by science but you know it's not a bad thing to think about, you know, in terms of it's harder to work on romantic love when you don't have a place to live. You know what I mean? It's it's not, it's not uh, difficult, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is annoying. But the wonderful thing about it to me is that humans are so complex that we'll never figure them out. And there's no short answer to experience into life.
1: I know. Um, tell me about it. I have insomnia. I think about these things all the time. Yeah. But, you know, that gives me something to write about.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. You could explore the nuances and or you could go down a road and be like polygraph, polygraph. But then there's a twist. Kirk
1: f- has a crazy face on everyone.
0: I found out that it's, that it's a myth.
1: Like a bug eyed. His hand is out in front of his face.
0: What does that say about my personality? Oh, my God. Sometimes I think that we should film these podcasts.
1: (laughs) I'll have to wear makeup.
0: All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself because...
1: You deserve it.